Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word like I do, or you have a smartphone or a tablet where you have the Bible app on it, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And while you're doing that, let me welcome Northside West Columbia. I know that you've already had a great time of worship this morning, and as we open up God's Word, I know God's going to speak to you in an incredible way. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered when it's going to end? I'm talking about all the hurt, all the pain, all the misery that we face in this world. When you pick up the paper and you read the paper, when you turn on the TV and you watch the news, does all the crime, all the murders, all the robberies, all the rapes, do they depress you? What about the abuse that is rampant in our society, we have child abuse, we have sex abuse, we, we have spousal abuse. And it seems like hatred is everywhere. There's religious hatred, there's racial hatred, there's social hatred. We're, we're constantly looking over our shoulder wondering if something horrible is going to happen to us or if something horrible is going to happen to someone that we love. It seems that We are living under the shadow of a black cloud of evil. But even with all of this, there are some people that that believe that we're moving in the right direction. We're we're moving in the direction of that, that perfect society, that utopia, that return to Eden, that that age of Aquarius. In 1945, after the Second World War, 51 countries came together and and they organized the United Nations. This international organization has four purposes, but, but the first purpose and the greatest purpose of all is to keep peace throughout the world. Across the street from the United Nations building in New York is a monument. It's called the Isaiah Wall. And on the Isaiah wall are these words from Isaiah 2. It says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And then it just says Isaiah. The United Nations is, is man's greatest attempt to bring about world peace since World War II. But, but since that time, there have been over 250 major conflicts throughout the world. Now, it would be great if somehow, some way, man could, could create this kind of society that we desire, that we long for. But I think that if we're honest, if we are willing to admit it to ourselves, we would have to say that that mankind cannot create that kind of society. A world without fear, a world without hate, a world without um, greed, a world without crime, a world without sin. Man cannot do it. Human ingenuity will never accomplish that feat. We need to understand that, that government legislation will never force that to happen, but understand there is some good news. What man can never do, God can do. And the Bible tells us that there is coming a day when God will do that. 
God will bring about world peace and, and he will establish a perfect world. It, it will be a golden age, an age where justice will prevail, an age where righteousness will rule, uh, uh, an age where goodwill will finally reign over evil. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what is going to happen at the end of the age. And we've discovered the signs of the times, those signs that, that point toward the end. We looked at the rapture. We looked at the tribulation. But today, I want us to talk about the millennial reign of Jesus. Now, there are some that will tell us that the Bible doesn't speak of the millennial reign. That, that phrase, millennial reign, isn't in there, but they are mistaken. You see, even though we may not see those two words, millennial reign, we do see the truth of the millennial reign. In reality, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, we discover a phrase, and the phrase is a thousand years. And a thousand years is a millennium. And when it speaks about this thousand years on earth, it is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. And so what I want us to do is, is I want us to look at this millennial reign for a few minutes this morning. And as we begin, I want you to see that the millennial reign begins when Christ will come. That's when it starts, when Christ comes back. Listen to what it says in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, and the Greek word there, I believe, is better translated righteousness. With righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come. Gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse. And the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now John says, I saw heaven standing open. That's the second time that we see John seeing heaven opened. The first time was in Revelation chapter 4 when, when heaven opened and John said, a door opened in heaven and I heard a voice say, come up here. 
That's the first time. The second time is in Revelation 19 when heaven opens here. The first time when when heaven opened, John enters into heaven. The second time when heaven opens, Jesus exits heaven. This is the second coming. and, And the second coming is different than the rapture. In the rapture, we see Jesus coming in the air to take his saints to heaven. In the second coming of Christ, in chapter 19, we see Jesus coming back to earth and his saints are following him. When Jesus came the first time, he went to a cross. When Jesus comes the second time, he will be wearing a crown. The first time Jesus came to redeem those who were lost. The next time Jesus comes, he will come to rule and to reign. When Jesus came the first time, he came to proclaim the gospel, the the good news of grace. But when he comes again, he will be coming to claim his kingdom. Listen, you need to understand this morning that, that you and I will never experience peace on earth until Jesus comes back. But you need to notice the first thing that he does when he comes back. Because the first thing he does when he comes back is not bring peace. The first thing he does when he comes back is to wage war. The Bible says that with righteousness he will judge and make war. You see, Jesus is not coming back as the Lamb of God. Jesus is coming back as the Lion of Judah. And with righteousness he will judge everyone who has rebelled against him, who has rejected him. Now, notice what he's called. He is called the faithful and true. Revelation 3, verse 14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is the faithful and true. He is faithful, the Bible says, even when we are faithless. And that's good news, isn't it? And he is the one source of truth. Everything else is judged. Everything else is gauged. Everything else is measured by him. Now, three times in this passage, we are told different names of Jesus. Now, the first one is a mystery. It says, no one knows this name but himself. You you see, you and I may know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know everything about Jesus. Jesus is infinite, and we are finite. He is the creator. We are the creator created. We don't know everything about Jesus, and we need to understand that. The next name tells us of his ministry. He was dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and it says his name is the Word of God. We see that in John chapter 1. Now, the Word is made up of letters, and we are told that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. Jesus is God in the flesh, communicating to us who God is and what God is like. But notice, the Word of God is not only His name, but the Word of God is His sword. And He uses the Word to strike down the nations. The first time Jesus comes, He comes communicating grace and truth. But the second time Jesus comes, He is coming to communicate God's righteous judgment upon the world. And understand, God's Word is powerful. 
When Jesus was here, he spoke a word and the fig tree withered. He spoke a word and the storm ceased. He spoke a word and the demons in legion fled. So we see his word is a mystery. His word describes his ministry or his name describes his ministry. But then also his name describes his majesty. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the king of all kings and he is the lord of all lords. And that's simply saying that he is the sovereign God. There's there's no one else like him. There is no one else over him. Everything and everyone answers to him. And notice what it says here. And Satan will attempt to to amass this this great army to fight against the sovereign God, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. But you can't fight against God and win. No one can. I can't. You can't. Satan can't. And so Satan amasses the troops, and with a word, the battle is over. And we are told that the beast and the false prophet that that Satan used to deceive the masses during the tribulation are thrown into the lake of fire. And one day everyone who has rejected him, refused him, will be thrown there with him. And then Jesus sets up his kingdom. So the first part of this millennial reign is Jesus will come back. Understand, Jesus is coming. But notice the second truth. We are told in chapter 20 that Satan will be sealed. Look at verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding it in his hand, a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, And bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. We are told that an angel will come out of heaven and he will change Satan. and He will cast him into the bottomless pit, the abyss. In other words, Satan will be imprisoned and prevented from attacking us and deceiving us. For a thousand years. You see, the Bible says that for a period of time, the deceiver cannot deceive. Now, it never ceases to amaze me how many people today don't believe in a literal devil. As a matter of fact, statistics say that 35% of those who call themselves Christians don't believe in a literal Satan, a literal devil. And that's hard for me to believe because I, I believe in in the devil for two reasons. One, I believe in him because of all the evil in this world. Where did it come from? Where did it originate? What is its source? And I believe in a devil because of that. But I also believe in the devil because the Bible constantly talks about him. We are told in God's word that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are told that he is a thief that comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. In this passage, we are given four names to describe the devil. He is the dragon, that fierce, destructive, dangerous foe. He is the devil who both accuses us and discourages us. He is Satan, our adversary and our enemy. 
And he is the serpent, that, that devious, crafty, tempting enemy. And I'm sure every one of us has lost some battles against Satan. But on this day, God will deal with Satan. Now notice one more thing. It says that he will be bound for a thousand years and then he will be set free for a short period of time. Why is he set free? We will address that in, in a few minutes. But notice where he is locked and sealed for the thousand years, the millennial reign. It says he is locked in the abyss, the bottomless pit. This isn't hell. This isn't the lake of fire where, where Satan will eventually spend eternity. This is a temporary holding cell, a place of incarceration for wicked, evil spirits. If you recall the story of Legion in the Bible where Jesus was casting out those demons in Legion, the, the demons cried out to Jesus, don't throw us into the abyss, the bottomless pit. In Revelation 9, we discover that it was the abyss from which these evil, wicked demons were called out of that will terrorize planet Earth. So we see that Satan is bound for a thousand years. But then we discover that during this thousand-year period where Satan is bound, the righteous, the saints, will reign with Christ. Notice what it says beginning in verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, this period of peace begins, the Bible says, with a resurrection, the first resurrection. But you need to understand that the Bible describes the first resurrection as coming in stages. Did you know that? Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. Make a note there in the margin of your Bible or on your note sheet. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. We are told that Christ is resurrected first, then the first fruits, and I believe that that is the rapture, and then those who, he, who belong to him when he returns. Now, the Bible says that those who experience the first resurrection will not experience the second death. Death will no longer have any power over them. And the Bible says the second death is hell, the lake of fire. But notice what we will do. 
those of us who come with Christ and those who have died during the tribulation, who were resurrected during this time, notice what we will do. The Bible says we will reign with Christ. Now, the world has been ruled by some pretty evil rulers throughout history, but the Bible says that during this thousand-year period, you and I will reign with the Lord. Did you hear that? The world will be ruled by believers. Some of us may rule cities. Some of us may rule counties. Some of us may rule principalities. Some of us may rule nations. But we will all rule with Christ. You were created in Christ to be a leader. And one day, you will lead. But notice what else it says we will do. We will not only rule, we will be priests. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You see, every child of God is and will be a priest. You see, our service in the present prepares us for our service in the future. That's why it's so important for you and I to be learning God's Word and to be sharing God's Word here and now. Because during this millennial reign, understand, it will not just be born-again believers who are on planet Earth. There will be those who have not yet given their lives to Jesus. And each and every one of us as believers are expected not only to rule, we're expected to be priests of God. Now, in, in Revelation 20, it doesn't really give us a description of what happens. It just tells us that we will rule with Christ for a thousand years and we will be priests of God for a thousand years. It doesn't tell us a lot about what's going to happen but we do discover in other passages in the Bible some descriptions of what's going to take place. Let me, let me just give you a few. In Isaiah 35 verse 1 it says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. In other words, the Bible says during this golden age, there will no longer be barren, desolate places. But the deserts of the world will spring forth with growth. When Steve and I were in Oman um, back in August, we were in southern Oman. And the place that we were at has become an incredible tourist destination for the people that live in that part of the world. And the reason is because it's part of that Arab Peninsula. And yet, for about four months out of the year... It is a beautiful, lush, green oasis. The, the winds bring the rains from the Indian Ocean, and, and it rains upon that area. And underneath the desolate desert lands are these plants that all of a sudden spring forth. And land that was desolate, deserted, desert, for a four-month period, becomes lush and green and oasis. And the Bible says that during this period, all of the world will be that way. 
In Isaiah 11, it says the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a child will lead them. The the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like an ox, the infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into a viper's nest. You say, that sounds crazy, that sounds absolutely insane, but understand, this is under the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And things are put back like they were supposed to be. And there will no longer be wild animals that are vicious and attacking, but it will be the way God created it. In Isaiah 2, verse 4, the verse that is on that Isaiah wall, it says this, that, that the people who made that wall left out. It says, He, God, will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will, take, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You see, it's the Lord God who brings peace to the earth. There's going to be a, a period of peace. No crime, no wars, nothing like that. Isaiah 33, 24 says, No one living in Zion will say, I am ill. There will be no sickness. So here, for a thousand years, we have a world that is lush and green. A world where the animals are are playful and, and you can enjoy them. A world where there is no war, there is no crime. A world where there is no sickness and, I believe, no death. You go, that's absolutely incredible. I want to live in a world like that. But understand... Understand, that's not the best part. The best part is that Satan will not be there. He has been thrown into the bottomless pit. Imagine a world with no devil, a world where there is no evil one, a world where the evil one has been removed, a world where there is no temptation because the the tempter has been removed. It will be a world where... Where the king of all kings and the lord of all lords will be worshipped on his throne. The kingdom of God will come to earth. That's the millennial reign. But that's not the end of it. Because notice what it says in verses 7 and 9. It says that Satan will be set free. It says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. And number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now, why is Satan released? I can tell you that in three words. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can speculate. I I can give you what I think, and I'll give you the two reasons I think that he is released, but, but, but I'm not sure. I think the first reason is to show that Satan never changes. Satan has been incarcerated in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, but when he is released, he is still Satan. He has not changed. Incarceration will not change the evil of his soul. It never will. But I think the other reason that Satan is released is to show man's depravity. 
Because you see, for a thousand years, man has lived in a perfect paradise. He has seen Jesus. He has heard Jesus. He's lived under Jesus' loving rule. But when he gets the chance, what does he do? He follows Satan and rebels against Jesus. One thousand years of peace on earth hasn't changed the sinfulness of man's heart. You see, time doesn't change the human heart. Environment doesn't change the human heart. Only God can change the human heart. And this proves once and for all that we don't need a change from the outside. We need a change from the inside. There are some today that have this mindset that if we can take people out of their situation, if we can change people's circumstances, then we can remove the evil from the world. And yet for a thousand years, peace reigns. But when given the chance, man's sinful heart turns to sin if his heart hasn't been changed. So Satan amasses an army. An army of mankind. All of those who have not truly bent their knee and given their heart to the one who sits on the throne. And in one last ditch effort, Satan convinces the people of the world that that we can take over this planet and we can rule and we can reign. But God with a simple word, brings fire down from heaven and destroys them all. Hear me. You can't rebel against God and win. The beast, the Antichrist, can't rebel against God and win. And Satan can't rebel against God and win. Final thing we see in this passage is that Satan is sentenced. Notice what it says in verse 10. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning fire, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They were, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. seems that there are many today that don't believe in a lake of fire. But your belief doesn't change reality. The Bible says that there is a lake of fire, and the lake of fire is a place of eternal torment. You say, Rocky, is it a literal fire? If it's not a literal fire, it's worse than a literal fire. It's a place of everlasting torment. And it wasn't created for you, it wasn't created for me, it was created for Satan. And the demons who rebelled with him. But unfortunately, it becomes the eternal home of everyone who refuses God's love and rejects him. You see, in the end, each and every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. We will either spend eternity with a Savior who loves us so much that he gave himself for us. Who has prepared a place for us that the eye has never seen, the, the heart can, cannot even imagine. 
or we will spend eternity with Satan in the lake of fire. And the choice is ours. God gives each of us a choice. We can receive Jesus and and have eternity with God, or we can reject Jesus and have eternity with Satan in the lake of fire. You say, I don't want A or B. I want C. There is no C. It's either Jesus, you heaven, you earth, Satan, and the lake of fire. Now, some would say, well, if I'm going to be with my friends, I want to be in the lake of fire. But the Bible says somehow, some way, even though there will be multitudes there, we'll be all alone. You say, how is that? I I don't understand that completely. I just know that it's a horrible place. It's a lonely place. It's a place that no one would ever want to be. But we get there by refusing God's love and rejecting his salvation. So what's it going to be for you? There are some of you here who have accepted him. You've received him and he's changed your life. But inevitably there are others of us here who have never done that. We refused him. We rejected him. We wanted to live life our way. And God allows us. But in the end, in the end, it will cost us everything. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus then I want to encourage you to do that right here, right now, before you leave. You may never have another chance. And if in this moment you know you need Jesus, the only reason you know that is because His Spirit has convicted you. And so in this moment, would you ask Him to forgive you? Would you trust the salvation that He gave through His death? Will you surrender your life to Him? You can pray a prayer like this if you want to. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sinfulness. I've rebelled against you. Please forgive me. Jesus, I know you love me. You came to this earth lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose from the grave defeating sin. You did that for me so I could be forgiven. I'm trusting you to save me, Jesus. I'm giving my life to you. Thank you for hearing me. And thank you for saving me. Now, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you right here, right now for those who have made decisions. Father, I know that 
you've touched some hearts this morning. And I know there are some who have, who have been snatched from darkness into your light. And I pray that you who have begun a good work in them will carry it on to completion. Help them grow. Father, I pray that they will make the choices they need to make to discover the life that only you can give. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.